Hello, friends, and welcome to a very exciting episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. As always, I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guests on the podcast are the members of the Climb Strong coaching team. I was in Lander, Wyoming for the weekend of the 2020 Climb Strong training camp, and I got a chance to sit down with most of the folks involved on the coaching side to talk about what they've been excited about in their own coaching and training, some of the patterns they've seen working with clients, some of their favorite exercises, takeaways from the training camp, and so much more. This is a mashup episode featuring eight different guests, and I will introduce each of them as we go along. I also listed them in the show notes with timestamps. If you want to jump around, feel free to listen however you would like. And if you want to learn more about anyone on the team, you can find a link to their bio in the show notes over at thenuggetclimbing.com. A ton of great nuggets in this episode. There are definitely some themes that get repeated, but each conversation carries a unique perspective and at least a couple of great nuggets. This is an amazing crew of people, and I had such a blast putting this one together. I hope you enjoy it. Please enjoy this collection of conversations with the Climb Strong coaching team. First up is my friend Chrissy Vadovsky. Chrissy is a physics teacher a certified performance climbing coach, and a level two USA climbing coach based out of Boulder, Colorado. Here's Chrissy. I'm going to make this as awkward as possible. Is that (laughs) that how it normally goes? That can be how this goes. (laughs) Great. My my editing challenges lie ahead of me. So we just wrapped up the Lander training camp, the Climbstrong training camp. You and I were talking just now, and, and you seemed interested in sharing your some of your takeaways, both from the perspective of a coach, I'd love to hear about where you're coming from as a coach and then also as an athlete. So what's your connection to the, to the Climbstrong group? You coach in Boulder? Uh, I live in Boulder and I coach in Longmont at the Longmont Climbing Collective. And then I also coach remotely for Climbstrong. Okay. Um, as a coach, it's just, honestly, it's one of the first times our, whole team has been there together in person like oh, in a while cool. and um and our coaching team keeps growing so it's been a great weekend just to get to see everyone connect with everyone as a team but also to reiterate the principles that we already know mm. quite a bit um like hearing Steve talk is always a pleasure, always informative. Um, hearing Jonathan uh, Segrist talk is completely inspiring, motivating. So those types of opportunities to like get together, have that shared experience, and then just kind of touch base with what we love is really powerful and motivating. That's awesome. What were some of the principles that were good reminders for you this weekend? Well, one of Climbstrong's philosophies, if you will, is like heavily strength-based. I mean, it's on our sweater <laughs> that strength is safety. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of focus on that. Um, like some of the sessions re- revolved around uh, different workouts, 
both strength-based and endurance-based and energy systems. But even with that foundation, like Steve will continually remind us that, like, yes, we all want to be stronger. We want to have stronger fingers. You know, all we want to, like, pass the test, right? There's all these nice, fancy assessments coming out, but the strongest person isn't the best climber and mm. kind of being reminded of that is really important too. And, and we're continually given examples of that um, and reminded to focus on that as well, like practicing climbing and then also uh, just getting after it. Uh, it's really neat to have Jonathan here. Um, him and Steve have a really close relationship over the years and you know, both will attest that Jonathan isn't by the numbers, like he's not the strongest person, hmm. but his resume is incredible and he prioritizes sending. And hmm. so yesterday he had given a little bit of a mini talk at the end around red point tactics. But, you know, the part that really resonated with me was like focused on like sending <laughs> like yeah. that like he he shows up prepared he's willing to put in the extra miles he's like tactical uh can look at his training logs and make informed decisions about how to approach the routes he wants to do and put himself in the best position and i think it's easy to get kind of caught up in the training um if you train well and plan well, you see success quite easily. You make improvements in your finger strength. You finish the intervals, the sets, and it's very controllable. But when you get outside on rock, it's <laughs> not controllable. There's so many factors and, you know, not everybody shows up to send and not the way like that he does. Mm. Um, so that was also just a point that really hit home in a really motivating way. Very cool. You and I were talking the other night and you were telling me about a project you had in Ten Sleep that, that just barely got away <laughs> from you. <laughs> what uh, what kind of, listening to Jonathan, did you have specific areas of focus come to mind or specific tactics or strategies come to mind that you're excited to focus on more for yourself with your own red pointing? Yeah, uh, I would say that, yeah, I just came from Ten Sleep and have reflected quite a lot on that red pointing process but after he talked I, I he talked about like if you think about the alphabet and if you're at letter a like people want to jump to letter z hmm. <laughs> or d or and he's really strategic in his goal to send and in what climbs he chooses, but also what uh, second tier routes he chooses in order to prepare him both physically and mentally for his chosen route. And really with that attitude of I'm prioritizing this and I'm committed to it. Mm. Um, so I've I have been thinking about my next goals, like what will help me progress Especially from like with, without the ego, like I, I want to get the mileage and learn, but I also want to push myself. And another thing he had spoken about was just, you know, there's a vulnerability in getting on something really hard mm. it, that you quite possibly might get shut down on. 
And I think often climbers oscillate between the two. They strive too high because it's okay to fall on things that are hard Mm -hmm. or strive too low because then you have this more guaranteed success and but where you learn the most is honestly more in those that second tier realm and i i would like to you know i want to face that like and i want to put myself out there but i also want to become a better climber so just what he said paired with the rest of the weekend really resonated with that cool real quick could you define that second tier realm first tier being your limit your current limit and second tier being typically a letter grade or two below that okay uh where you could get her out in potentially a few tries or a couple days not a long-standing project but that being said if it was a little bit more of a anti-style or terrain that you're less comfortable with it could be a lower grade than that so in difficulty yeah gotcha so something you can do in maybe up up to a couple of days. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What were some of the takeaways that you're excited to bring back as a coach? Did anything stand out from the weekend? I was most excited to apply some of the newer workouts I learned to my team kids. Okay. Um, despite social distancing, there were quite a few cool team exercise like paired exercises I hadn't done before and I think some of the team athletes would be really like excited by that so that was more of a logistical excitement more so than anything but I think for the the biggest benefit to that both the team and to the adult athletes I coach is just that knowledge and psych because it's events like this that kind of keep the fire burning or brighter you know it's always burning but it helps Mm. ignite things a little bit more so yeah rather than a specific thing awesome is there anything else you are excited to talk about i guess i was going to say that like the benefit for the athletes who were participating is I think the biggest thing is the community. Like it's a really mm. unique experience to be surrounded by other climbers or athletes of comparable experience level who are so excited to train. Like mm. that's that's really magical. There's a little bit of ego in climbing in where those conversations can't be they they aren't typically as unfiltered and so so it really is a learning environment which i really appreciate everyone everyone's there to learn everyone's psyched to talk about training and better and motivation um so i think that's really special and then i think it also helps kind of pull through the weeds a bit like training can get really bogged down or you don't understand like where to begin and Hmm. so uh, i think they did a great job of kind of breaking down some of the nuts and bolts of what would what is a good training plan and how to piece it together that if I didn't know how to train I would walk away with like a way better idea of doing so okay so that's I think that's really cool awesome yeah right on Chrissy so you're about to drive back to 
Colorado? Yep, that's the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, very nice to meet you. Thanks so much for taking the time, and uh, I hope our paths cross again. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. (laughs) The next guest is Jonathan Segrist. Jonathan was brought in as a guest speaker and did some coaching as well over the weekend. If you haven't listened to it, you can hear more from Jonathan and learn more about his own training in episode 14 of the podcast. I'd highly recommend that one. He's a great dude, and it was super fun to sit down and chat with him again. Here's Jonathan. That's awesome. <laughs> well, hey, Jonathan. Hey, how's it good, going? Good. It's good to see you again. Man. Nice. Yeah, you too. It was nice to see you at dinner the other night, and also I was super bummed to hear about your shoulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? What's going on with your injury? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> I just wiped out re- super hard on my mountain bike, and uh, and I se- separated my AC joint So, dude, on my left shoulder. So, And I also cracked a rib. Which honestly has been kind of worse than the shoulder. Okay. The rib is now getting better. Okay. But in the beginning, like, it made it really hard to just sleep or, like, you know, like, coughing or, like, sneezing or something was, like, so heinous and painful. Like, I actually (laughs) had the thought that if I got coronavirus, like, you know, because I had to go to the ER to get, like, everything. Right. And I was, like, in days after that... Once I realized the crack rib thing and how painful coughing was, I was like, dude, if I have, <laughs> if I get coronavirus from the hospital, I'm going to just die. Oh, no. I'm going to just perish. Like, I don't know. I'll have to be like so strung out on drugs for the next like three weeks to even make it through life. <laughs> but so far, so good. Knock on wood. I do not have coronavirus, which is sweet. Is that for you? <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm glad, <laughs> glad to hear it. Yeah. Are you past your incubation period? Uh, I am, yeah, just barely, yeah. Actually, today is two weeks from uh, when I crashed, so. Okay. Yeah. How's the shoulder coming along? I know you climbed a little bit the other day. Oh, good. It's coming along really well. Um, We were in Rifle for a couple weeks, and then we were planning to hang out in the Front Range, climb in the park, and a couple other things around there. And and it was like the first day that we got to Boulder to visit my parents that I crashed, so... um, the timing actually was like pretty good like, hmm. as much as you can, you know, like as much as you timing of getting hurt really badly is never cool, but this was about as good as it could get. Okay. Cause, cause I've got, I'm in Boulder at my parents' beautiful home. Like, you know, I can walk out their back door and go on these amazing hikes, which I've been doing every day, which is like kept me sane. Sweet. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, in Boulder, the resources for physical therapy for massage therapy for you know sports science is so good that um yeah i've been like either seeing the pt or um this rolfer incredible massage therapist friend of mine like basically every single day so awesome yeah it's definitely moving along fast i think i'm like a week or two ahead of schedule which i'm really happy about Um, okay but I've, i've still got some time to go you know it's it's been a really interesting time because I think it's pretty natural that when you get hurt and you can't climb, you get like extra motivated, you know? Hmm. And I've been kind of thinking about plans and ambition and stuff like that and getting super motivated. But then it's, it's hard to, <laughs> to not only feel like I have so much motivation I want to put towards improvement, but knowing that I have to just kind of be patient while I like just slowly detrain yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this your worst injury? As this long is as my worst injury, yeah. Pro climber? Yeah. 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 I've, I've had other things. And, you know, honestly, I'm grateful to be able to say that because a lot of people can't yeah. say the same, you know? Yeah. But I think the 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 longest I've ever been, like, sidelined from injury 
entirely was like has been like 10 days or something so okay even at two weeks i'm already like this is like the longest i've been forced to not climb hard you know yeah and in all and i have more weeks to go it's not like it's over now but yeah yeah you seem like you're in really good spirits is it because of the timing and, and being able to recognize the um the resources that you have in boulder right away or has that like reframing taken some time um no actually to be honest my spirits were the highest shortly after the crash <laughs> and they've, they've come down a little bit in the last like three to five days, but no, okay. my it's, it's overall, I feel totally good about like a, it all. Is it like a pressure release thing? Like, Oh, I don't have to worry about performing for a little while for once. No, you know, I think that, I think primarily it was that like moments after I crashed, you know, I'll spare you the details, but basically I was quite quite convinced that I would not climb again this year. Oh wow! Like I had to basically hold my arm on, oh, and dude. Uh, it was like you know I had a really severe concussion, and oh, um, wow. and you know like for the minute or two after I fell, like I could hardly even breathe, you know, because of my because of the rib. Yeah, and it was like all those things. <laughs> like when my friend was like rushing me to the hospital, kind of thing, you know, I was like, well. I finally did it. You know, I was like, this is the big one, you know? And I was kind of at peace with that. Like, you know, you have to be cause you're in, you're in pain and you're so disoriented and whatever. I was just like, you know, dang man, I guess I'm going to be just kind of chilling yeah. for a while. And then I was certain that I had broken something Okay. because so many things were like grinding and and popping and clicking and doing all kinds of crazy stuff on my on my shoulder. So when they took the x-ray, and actually it was kind of funny because they took the x-ray and the x-ray technician and, and Shana, my girlfriend, went into the other room, uh -huh. you know, and I could see them like through the glass. Oh, no, dude. And, and I could see like Shana's re response to the x-ray photo, you know. And Oh, my God. She, she doesn't like, you know. She doesn't necessarily knew she didn't necessarily know what she was looking at, but I think she was just like, "Oh, that doesn't look very good." Uh huh. Um, but you know, then the, then they were like, "Oh no, you didn't break anything. You just separated the AC joint." Huh. I was like, "Wow, okay, crazy." <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, "Oh God, maybe I will climb again in like December," you know. And then I saw the ortho, and he was like, "Oh yeah, do these things. You might climb in like twelve weeks." And I was like, "Oh okay." And then I saw like a PT who really knows a lot about climbing. This guy, uh, Ross Bodine at Alta in Boulder, he's amazing. Okay. Um, you know, then he was kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I think you climb in six weeks. And oh, then man. I like started talking to Tyler Nelson and he was like, dude, I don't know. I think you can climb in like <laughs> a week, you know? And all of a sudden it was like, God, life just keeps getting better. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you're on the mend. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, so I was talking to Chrissy, one of the other coaches. Oh, yeah. For the, for mm -hmm. the training camp weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of asking her what some of her biggest takeaways from the weekend were. Yeah. And she shared, she kind of reiterated like a pep talk that you gave mm. towards the end of the camp about focusing on projecting. Yeah. And, and really focusing intention on, on projecting. Could you speak to that a little bit? Um, yeah, for sure. Steve asked me to talk to this idea that he feels really strongly that I'm able to kind of like take the benefits that I receive from training experience and actually really translate that really well to rock and like actual performance. And, you know, it's kind of 
and and he would admit this too, and I'm the be the first one to admit this, but it's it's kind of a roundabout way of saying that a lot of people who climb at my same level are much much stronger than I am. Okay, like. I can apply some of the training and, and like all the strengths that I have really well. I mean, I've said this many times in the past, but like if you brought me in a climbing gym with like, you know, other people that have a similar resume as I do, then I, they would totally blow me out of the water, you know? Um, and, and I tried to just speak about, I think, some of the like tenacity and like grit and uh, dedication that I feel personally that is involved, like the reason why those things are true for me. And just to try to speak a bit about the observations that I've had about, uh, you know, other people and, and kind of losing sight of the, like losing the plot a bit. Mm. And, uh, and it's especially easy nowadays because of how popular and how fun and interesting training is and how much research and how much technology there is around it. Now it's easy to get lost in that. But what I really tried to hammer home to like the, all the athletes in the event this weekend was that, you know, you're likely here ultimately because the, you know, the goal is to send and mm. the goal is to like clip chains. Right. So if you don't make that your priority, you know, I mean, this training is all really, really important, but if like getting to the crag, you know, when you don't feel the best or when it might be not the best conditions or, you know, it's just it's just so easy and so reliable to go in the gym and train. Mm. And sometimes we get addicted to how satisfying that is. Every session is pretty damn satisfying. Mm. And I tried to, you know, I spent a half an hour, 40 minutes just kind of like telling stories and trying to encourage them to be rock climbing. It sounds silly, but like you can't succeed at rock climbing without rock climbing. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it's easy to lose sight of that, I mm. think so. And And a lot of people feel that they... You know, I, I meet so many climbers that are overqualified. And and what I mean by that is like, I think that in this day and age, sometimes it's a little bit easier to get so strong that everything always feels easy. Mm. But the reality is, is that if you're never trying hard as hell, you'll never reach your potential no matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter. If you're only trying at 80% of your potential, you can be the strongest climber in the world and you've still never climbed the best you possibly could, you know? Mm -hmm. So... So you just, I, I, yeah, just balancing that and trying to encourage them to like really dig deep and, and get to that hundred percent the best they could. Cool. Even at the expense of maybe some training, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're also such a strategist. You know, you're someone that doesn't just go out to the crag when conditions are terrible, presumably. How do you think about that? What are some of the things that you're considering when you're making a specific route, your main priority and you're making clipping change the priority? Um, I just try and stack all the odds in my favor, you know, okay. as much as I can. And there are all obviously days, many days in like a red point process when you don't feel like going out for one reason or another, but I, but you still do. And, and I think that that is important, but ultimately, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to go to an area that's an October area in August. Mm -hmm. Like you just don't do that. Like, <laughs> like if you have to, obviously I have privilege and I also have a schedule that where I can completely sculpt my life around these kind of things. But yeah. you know, if it's possible for you as well, it's like, just don't, you know, it's just not worth it. Don't force it. Like find the best season, be there during the best season. You know, if you think it might take you two weeks to send, give yourself four weeks to be there. Hmm. You know, these kind of things like that, that, that kind of stuff I really think is so valuable. I can't tell you how many of my peers I've seen go to Spain and like, 
on for, go to Spain for like two weeks. And I'm like, dude, if you're a pro climber, why are you not there for six weeks? You know, mm. like just make sure you have the time to do what you need to do. And mm-hmm. you know, if you finish it in two weeks, that's sick. There's plenty of other things to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I personally, I don't perform as well overall when I have this sense that the window is closing all mm. the time. You know, mm. I like to have the feeling that I can learn each day, but like this day doesn't have to be the day. You know, I think that, I think that that's kind of ultimately what it's all about is trying to remove as much of that pressure as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, is there anything that you learned or took away from the training weekend? Oh, honestly, man, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot more than I expected to. Okay. Um, and I always try and go into stuff like this with an open mind, but it was just really cool to be around so many people who are so skilled at what they do. It was really cool to see all the Climbstrong staff like training people and like, you know, like running people through exercises and correcting form and stuff is like, I was like, wow, this is like serious biz, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is sweet. Cool. Uh, and, but I think, I think that, uh, one of the greatest takeaways for me, aside from just meeting all the athletes and hearing about their goals and, and their, you know, everyone was so unique as far as where they came. I mean, we had people fly in from like, you know, the East coast and from all over the U S it was pretty cool. cool. Like Smith rock people, East coast people, you know, like middle of the country people. It was awesome. Um, but I think like one of my favorite takeaways to be honest was to meet Tyler Nelson in person. This was a perfect time for me because I was able to like take, you know, squeeze some nuggets of information out of him in regards to my shoulder recovery, um, BFR training, which I've never done before. You know, it was just cool. He, he's just, he's, I really like the way he thinks and he's such a incredible resource for information. So it was really sick to like pick his brain and to like hear him speak and to watch him work a little bit and stuff. That was, that was like super cool for me. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, man. Uh, thank you. I appreciate your time. I know yeah. you, you guys are taking off this morning, so I'll let you go. Yeah, man. I, yeah. I appreciate it, dude. Cool. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah, see ya. A quick clarification from that one. Jonathan mentioned BFR training, and that stands for blood flow restriction training. Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to sit down with Tyler Nelson over the weekend, but if you are interested in BFR training, I linked to a great episode with Tyler on the Training Beta podcast talking about using blood flow restriction for injury healing and climbing performance. You can find that in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. I checked in with Jonathan about a week ago, and he said that he is still a little weak compared to before the crash, but he is definitely on the mend and can climb and train almost like normal now. So that is pretty awesome. Next up is Ken Klein. Ken is based in the Fort Collins area and is a certified personal trainer and a certified performance climbing coach. Here's Ken. Is this on? Yeah, it's on. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Tell me what you had for breakfast just so I can get levels. Coffee. Just coffee? (laughs) Just coffee. Are you intermittent fasting or something? No, we just need to get groceries. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so I've just had coffee. I, it's funny you say that though, because I have recently just, um, had coffee, um, in the mornings and I, I'll start to eat maybe usually after 10. Okay. Sometimes more around 11 or 12. And I used to be the... I used to wake up and like bacon and eggs or whatever. And like, I got to get a big breakfast in. And I have climbing partners who, 
who don't do well with that. Hmm. And so I was thinking about it. I was like, well, I've never, never tried the opposite of waking up and eating a big breakfast. And mm-hmm. so I started probably in the spring and, um, yeah, I, f- I do pretty well with okay. it. So what do you um, do if you have a morning crag and you have to get out early and yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I do try to eat a little something for it, but I'm still experimenting with it because there's been times where I go into to train in the morning and I don't eat and okay. I, I feel really good on that as well. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. Um, have you listened to the, the Art Devaney interview with Tim Ferriss? No. That's worth a listen to. Okay. And he definitely I don't think I have. He definitely changed my the way I think about eating either before or after training. Okay. And this dude's like 80-something, and he looks like he's 50. And okay. He's ripped. And, yeah. Um, I'll link to that episode in the yeah, show notes. I'll be I think sure it's, to... it's, worth, it, it's a pretty interesting listen. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm just running on coffee right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're doing great. Yeah. Um, hey, Ken. Hello. Yeah, thanks for sitting down, man. Yeah, thank you. We were just, before we started recording here, you started to talk about this idea of climbing is magic from the weekend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I paused you cause I want to hear all about it, but I want to record it too. So yeah. Tell me yeah. what you're talking about. Well, so, you know, we're, we're all doing this thing for two days and the first day we got them good and warmed up and then we broke into the three sessions. Okay. And then we ended Saturday with Jonathan, um, just kind of talking for about an hour. And the first thing that he said was simply, he got up in front of all of us and he's just like, he just goes, climbing is magic. And I was just like, man, you could just drop the mic right now, you know, and walk out. But I got to thinking about it. I'm like, God, he's right. Like it is magic. And I, you know, he, he started to talk about how in climbing, whether it's, if you're an alpinist, a boulder, a sport climber, we have so many different avenues to pursue it. And it's magic in the sense that we, we all find a little something different out of it. Hmm. Um, because we did, we had all kinds of different climbers this weekend and climbing is the, the common theme, but we all look at it differently. Okay. And so it was really cool to hear him say that. And like, that's the, that's the one phrase that has stuck with me throughout the weekend Hmm. is climbing is magic. Hmm. Cause I mean, these people traveled from all over the U S you know, to Lander, which isn't near a major airport. Right. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, these, you know, this is magic for them. Hmm. So yeah, that was, uh, that was cool. And then, I mean, his talk that night was, it was amazing. You know, some of the, the other takeaways that I took from his talk were, um, I was really psyched that he talked about, yeah, I walked up to biography first day. I didn't even come close to doing all the moves. Wow. And I think people, people lose that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm out climbing, I hear the word impossible way too much. And it <laughs> drives me insane. It's like, you know, to hear him tell all of us that he goes out and tries these routes and the first day or two, he doesn't even do all the moves. Man, yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm so intimidated by a route if I can't right. do all the moves right away. <laughs> right. And it's like, it's good to hear 
hear someone like him say that because it's a good reminder that, you know, it's okay to go out and try something. And, and I think, I think bouldering, um, I think people that boulder and sport climb, they, they maybe get it a little more. Sure. Yeah. But I, I'll work with athletes that, that just root climb and they'll try something like twice and be like, nah, I can't do it. It's impossible. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no, we got to just keep trying it. Hmm. So I think it was really cool to hear him talk about, about that. You know, and not only I didn't do any, all the moves, but he was like, it felt so hard and like so far beyond my, my reach. But then to see that he sticks with it and then ends up doing it. Yeah. So yeah, that one, I think he did take down in a single trip, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it, it's a good reminder for people that, you know, because a lot of times we just see these super talented climbers in the videos or whatever, just sending. And I think people forget about all the hard work that they have to put into this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and back to the climbing is magic. You know, it's also like we're all striving for this feeling, right? And I think that's what's so cool about climbing is here you have Jonathan, he's getting that feeling on, you know, 15B. And the next climber can have the exact same feeling on 13A, 12A, 11A. Mm. And I think that's what's so cool about climbing is, <laughs> and, and you know, I think it takes people to realize it's not the number that you should be ultimately going after. It's that feeling. Hmm and that we can all have the same feeling. And I, I always tell beginner climbers that I, that I work with that for me, I get the most enjoyment watching people climb at or near their limit. And I don't give a shit if that limit is 14A or if it's 11C. Watching someone try their hardest, like that, that's what it's all about. That's, that's awesome. That's where I get a lot of satisfaction is seeing people try, try hard. Yeah. So... I'd love to ask you as a coach, you know, taking away that idea that maybe it's okay to not be able to do all the moves right away. And mm-hmm. maybe we just need to keep trying for a newer climber. Mm-hmm. How do you, how are you thinking about balancing that with encouraging people to build their base and do more second tier routes and that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I think for, for beginners, it's, it's okay to maybe spend like one day a week trying things that, that they can't do. Or um, it will take several sessions to do. Okay. But what I've what I've seen um, the most success in is working with a, a newer climber, whether it be a boulder or a root climber, and getting them on a on a boulder. So I'll I'll, I'll put them on a boulder like a V1, and I'll film them. And, and while I'm filming, I'm tracking how long it takes them to climb the boulder. Hmm. And I won't give them any advice. And so I'll, I'll, I'll watch them climb it and they'll get down and I'll ask how it went. And then I'll have them climb it again. Okay. And sometimes it takes about the same amount of time. Sometimes maybe they shave a few seconds off, but it's typically about the same time. Then we start to break the boulder down and I'm showing them the video. Like, what are you seeing? Like, and a lot of times it's a ton of readjusting. Okay. Okay. And so they're readjusting because they're not sure of themselves. Okay. So they're not being deliberate in their movements. And so then I'll, I'll also start 
adding in a little beta with their help. Like, okay, like, you know, maybe we skip this hold and just go to this one. Um, and, and little things like that. And then we'll climb it again. And then we'll climb it again. And by the end of it, sometimes it'll take that climber, you know, 55 seconds to do the first the first go. Yeah. And by the end, it's like we're down to like 15 seconds, 20 wow. seconds. Yeah. And that's the, a light goes off. And they're like, hmm. holy crap. Like, I don't need to get, I'm plenty strong. I just, I need to be more deliberate in my movements. Hmm. And so then I'll pick three boulders. We'll do that on three boulders. And then that's their homework for like the next two weeks is like every time you come in, you get warmed up and you, they're essentially perfect repeats. Okay. And you climb these boulders to perfection. Mm. And when I say three times each, that's three times to perfection. So if you climb it once and you're like, oh, I missed that hold that that didn't feel right. Do it again. Do it again. And so it's this massive amount of repetition. Um, I've, I've seen the the most benefit. Okay. Okay. And then I'll send them the videos too, because sometimes they'll just pull up the video and be like, oh, okay, that, that's it. And so that kind of starts to highlight this, this feeling of it being effortless because mm. the first video, like they're struggling on it. And by the end, they're like, oh my God, that was so much easier, <laughs> you know? And a lot of times those are the same climbers that are like, oh, I need more endurance. I need more endurance. It's like, well, no, if, if you, if it's taking you 55 seconds to climb a five move boulder problem, like we don't need more endurance. We need to just, <laughs> we just need to climb it better. Hmm. So, so I'll do that and I'll really hammer that stuff. But then I'll also be like, you know, one day a week, just let's start trying some, some harder moves and really instilling in them that we don't always have to start the boulder at the start and finish it at the end like Hmm. let's pick a few moves on this v3 and start trying them you know Hmm. and i think that's where i'll i'll give them a little room on on trying things that are that are too hard okay so how does that skew when you get a more advanced climber coming to you that's like stuck at a plateau or something you know that's a good question too and you know sometimes what i've seen is they're again they're plenty strong Okay. I've, I worked with, um, a few, few climbers in particular in Fort Collins that I would just always see them in the training room. Uh Okay. Yeah. And they worked with me for a few months and I, I basically was like, we'll work together, but we're not going to step foot into the training room. And same thing, getting them doing climbing specific drills because they were plenty strong. They just needed to get better. Mm. Um, and I think I think we lose sight of that um, that we there's always room for improvement. You know, even a just because you climb five fourteen doesn't maybe mean you you're a good climber. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not often. Yeah, but yeah. I, I feel I've there's always skills we can we can be working on. Hmm. You know, the the readjusting drill is a simple thing as like a one touch drill and getting people to just be more deliberate in their movements one touch meaning like when they touch the hold they have to use it that way they can't adjust their hand on it that sort of thing yeah exactly and and really getting them to spend some time figuring out exactly where they want to grab it Mm. and so you know i have them do a lot of repetitions on that and so it's like oh i know exactly where i want to grab that sloper and just boom boom 
boom, you know, and they're just hitting the holds first time perfectly. Hmm. And that takes a lot of attention. And I, I think it, you start to use your eyes more. And so like when you're going to the hold, your eyes are just locked in exactly hmm. where, cause our attention goes where our eyes go. And so they're locked in. And then if they practice that enough, it slowly just becomes how they climb. Hmm. So cool. Lots of reps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have some notes in front of you. Are there any other takeaways from the weekend? I want to I want to get into the finger strength stuff that you guys worked on, but maybe before that. Yeah. So you know, Jonathan's um, his talk at the end of Saturday was awesome. It was cool. He he kind of breaks down like three months, and it's like month one training. Like he's he's devoted to getting stronger. Month two, he's still training, but it's kind of starting to taper. And then he he sets these like second tier goals and he goes after them. Mm. And then the third month, it's like, we're going for the prize. Mm -hmm. And what he's found is that in the second month, if he sends that, that kind of second prize, yeah, it takes so much pressure off the third month. Mm -hmm. And I think what he's, what he's experienced is if he does do those second prize routes that typically the big prize follows because there's not that added pressure. Got it. And for him, he's like, Oh yeah. You know, like I pick a handful of 14 D's. And <laughs> right. It's just like, okay. <laughs> and so that was cool to hear, hmm. you know, and then it's like month three. And then after that, whether he sends or not, it's back to the drawing board. Okay. Um, and to hear him talk about, there's been times where it didn't happen. And instead of staying in Spain or wherever it was and beating his head against it, it's like, nope, let's fly back. Let's get better. Let's get stronger. And then, hmm. and then go back. Do you know, did he talk about what happens month four? Or does he like start that cycle over? I, or? I think, I mean, I think month three and into four after maybe the prize is, is one, he, he just spends more time, you know, on those second tier routes. And I think he, that's when he has a lot of fun. Just too. does a ton of rock climbing. Yeah. Yeah. He does a ton of rock climbing. And that was another theme that he kept hammering was this idea of rock sense, hmm. you know, and we've all felt it where we spend a massive amount of time in the gym and we feel super strong. And then we go out and we're like, Oh God, this feels awful. Like I can't, I can't trust that left foot smear. And, hmm. and so he's constantly, and I think that's where the month two comes into play for him is he's getting, he's still getting out on the rock mm -hmm. a ton. And another thing he kept saying was he prioritizes sending like that is, that is his goal. And he shared this really interesting story where he was out with a buddy of his in Vegas and this buddy like one hung this route that I, I think had only seen one ascent. Okay. And he gets down and Jonathan's like, dude, that was amazing. Like rest up, give it another rip. And the friend was like, no, I'm going to, that's it. That's all I'm going to do today. I'm going to go home and train. And Jonathan was just like, whoa, what? You're insane. <laughs> you know? And so mm. that's where I think Jonathan is, is a little different. Is like, no, he's, he's out there to send mm -hmm. and he does, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, cool. And then... You know, with that, he, he kind of tied in that he feels he sees a lot of climbers that are overqualified for the grade they're climbing. Yeah, yeah. He and talks to was, me about this yeah. a little bit, yeah. And and that was interesting to, 
to hear him say and well, and he's wake right up call. you know yeah for a lot because of i i see it you know they're not pro climbers but it, there again it's it's a lot of people that are man you're plenty strong like you gotta just you gotta get better at rock climbing because gym climbing steve always says like gym climbing is is as close as we can get to rock climbing but it's not rock climbing mm. so hmm. i like that yeah so tell me about the fingerboard training that you guys did this weekend. Yeah, so Jonathan and I, um, we tag-teamed finger strength, and so three blocks okay. um, of that. And so it's funny, I thought maybe the first block would maybe be the the roughest, and then we would get better as it went on. But okay. I almost felt like maybe the first block went, went the best. Okay. Um, <laughs> But the way we talked about finger strength was Jonathan just kind of went through his climbing and his his process with with all this. You know, first, I think it was like first 10 years was just a ton of climbing, mm. ton of volume. Like he shared a story where he was at the spot in, in Boulder and like he left and like he could hardly shift his truck because he was so <laughs> tired. And I had, you know, I had always heard stories of Jonathan just spending a ton of time in the the brc as well just running lap after lap and so that was like the first 10 years then he's up in lander and he he'd kind of plateaued so he needed a little something else and then that's when he met mike and mark anderson and the rock manual hadn't been released yet so they sent him a pdf okay and he read it and was just like oh my god this is amazing and then followed it to a t for mm. a couple years and yeah and then saw a pretty big upshoot you know with the classic seven seconds on three seconds off mm -hmm. then again another plateau and that's when he reached out to steve and steve switched him more to strength you know over getting tired yeah um and so it was as simple as well instead of resting for three seconds let's rest for 13 seconds yeah and so then he started seven seconds on 13 seconds off and these are for fingerboard repeaters yep for hangboarding for yep. in case that's not clear yep and then you know i think he he rode that horse for a while and then he he has recently switched to to one arm hangs oh interesting yeah okay so like max hangs yep so we went over those three and then with that came a lot of questions from from the athletes mm -hmm. um which which i felt we answered and i kind of kept hammering something that steve has hammered into us is anytime we get tired we have now left the strength realm hmm. okay and so you know if the goal is to get stronger fingers we can't get tired you know, we need, we need to just add in more rest. Um, okay. And so I've done 713 a bit. I've done 610, probably more, which is pretty much the same thing. And yeah, just have, have really good success with, with that style of, of repeaters. Okay. And a lot of the athletes I felt for the most part have done max hangs more than anything else. And, yeah. you know, I've worked with, with climbers that, can hang an insanely amount of weight off their harness and hang for 10 seconds. But then I'll have them take the weight off and let's hang for six seconds, rest for 10, do six rounds of that. And they can't even get through it, even on like a, on a 20 mil. Whoa. At body weight. At body weight. Wow. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, that highlights a pretty big weakness. Yeah. 
And sometimes they're they're all in, and sometimes they're like, nah, I'm gonna stick with Max Hands. Like, <laughs> it, all right, is that a strength thing, or is that an, more of an energy system thing that's been neglected? I think it's probably a little of both. Okay, I really do. But the way I look at it is, I want to keep hangboarding as simple as possible, so that the athlete does it. And instead of now having to gather 88.2 pounds of weight, <laughs> why don't we just hang off the hangboard with our body? Hmm. Um, okay. So do you, do you do a lot of your stuff at body weight? Um, I do up until a point, but then even in a repeater protocol, I'll, I'll be adding weight as well. Okay. Which kind of highlighted another thing that Jonathan has experienced. And this is a person who's grabbed some of the smallest holds ever. Hmm. He doesn't feel it's beneficial to go down in edge size under, I think he said like 10 mil. Oh, wow. And I thought that was, that was interesting because I, I have a few bouldering projects that have tiny holds and last year in preparation for it, I was just working my way down the transgression board mm -hmm. and you know, you get down to that seven mil and, oh, it's pretty disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Um, Super you know, sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Sharp. The conditions have to be right. Your skin mm. has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was cool to, to hear him talk about how he doesn't see a, a lot of benefit under 10 mil up to, you know, and then he also, you know, mentioned we still need to hang on those tiny holds maybe a little bit if your project has them just kind of get used to that bearing down and that pain tolerance okay um but aside from that he he doesn't feel it's necessary okay um and another thing that jonathan and i and i see eye to eye on is you know somewhere along the line someone said you should never full crimp on the hangboard hmm. and we both think that that is ridiculous as well okay because if you're gonna go outside and fist crimp i feel we we should be training that not all the time but at at certain times of the year because what i see is they don't train that grip they go outside they're 10 feet above their last bolt they're getting pumped they get scared they drop the hammer and then boom they mm. get hurt mm -hmm. so so i i think it's beneficial to spend a little time full crimping throughout the year and and he he agreed on that as well cool so one thing I'd love to add to that, I've I've seen really big gains from crimping on the fingerboard, mm -hmm. but when I first started doing it, I was wrapping my thumb mm -hmm. and I started to get irritation in that first joint of my index finger mm -hmm. from almost like hyperextending it. And I had to kind of like massively check my ego because it was really hard, but I, t I, I backed way off on my weight mm -hmm. and I started full crimping with my thumb tucked under my index finger. Oh, interesting. And it required me to engage the index finger more. Yeah. And I think my crimps, my fingers felt a lot healthier doing that. And yeah. I think my crimp strength got really, nice, really strong doing that too. Yeah, so that's yeah. something people can try. Yeah. You know, and I, again, training for the same bouldering project, I, I could hold the crimp you know, and it felt good, but I, I had to do a series of bumps off the crimp. And so I was training, I was doing repeaters on small holds just so I could keep it closed for longer. Hmm. Um, and, and that seemed to help. And, but I, I think it was kind of painful doing such small crimp. So I think the next time I train for that project, I'll, I'm going to stay on, on like a 10 mil and uh and try that okay so and go heavier as it yeah gets. and go ahead just go heavier okay yeah cool you know and that's the question you, you always get is what's better to go down in edge size 
or to stay at, you know, like a 15 or 20 and add weight. And, you know, I think it, it all just depends. Um, it depends on how long you've been hangboarding, what your goals are. And honestly, I think, I think they all work. Um, Mm. we just got to make sure we're doing it long enough. Okay. So, yeah. That's interesting what you just said, doing it long enough. So given that you shared a few different protocols this Mm -hmm. weekend and it's interesting to hear, you know, going from seven seconds on three seconds off to seven seconds on 13 seconds off, it's obviously a much more strength focused repeater workout, Mm -hmm. but it's still very different from max hangs. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about that? How do you think about either cycling these things or integrating them? Do you have like a go-to that you use for most athletes? How are you Mm -hmm. thinking about that stuff? Yeah. So I'll use the 610 or 713 and, you know, if they're a boulder, I'll have them do that for roughly about four weeks. Okay. Um, we're, we're always striving for at, at least eight sessions of the same protocol. Okay. Um, and if there, if we're still seeing gains, we'll, we'll go up to all the way up to 12 sometimes. Okay. Um, but what I've seen a ton of success is we'll hang out in the same protocol for at least eight sessions. And then let's say we have seven weeks. First four weeks will be that repeater protocol. And then I'll have them for two weeks, throw in some max hangs Hmm. and then I'll send them off. On their trip. On their trip. Or or sometimes it's not even a trip. Then it's just like, okay, let's take a week off and then move on to to something different. Um, Would you start that seven-week thing over or would you switch it up? It it depends. A lot of time we run athletes, you know, through strength you know, with strength being the focus, then maybe power being the focus, and then maybe some some energy system being the focus in like a three month period. Okay. But we're constantly, you know, Steve's four burner stove analogy is so good where mm. let's let's boil one of these things on high for four weeks and then simmer the others. Okay. And then simply just switch the focus the next month um and just kinda hang out in in that. Okay. So I, I found that works pretty well. You know and so that might be switching to more bouldering and mm-hmm. or campusing or something like that. Right. And then just like maintaining the finger strength with one session every exactly. couple weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. Or? So if we're okay. if we hang out in strength and then we switch to power, I'll just have them do a strength maintenance workout, you know, once every seven to ten days. Okay. Um and the other thing I think we always have to be be looking at is what are we climbing on when we when we go climbing outside and if we're we're going out and climbing on on really crimpy boulders or really crimpy routes then maybe we don't even need to do as much hangboarding mm. during that phase you mm. know so i think it's important to to analyze all these things you're doing and then just make sure we're hitting anything we're not covering in our actual climbing okay so with that if someone is you know, let's take two outdoor climbers mm-hmm. that want to supplement their finger strength with some fingerboarding. Let's take one is almost exclusively bouldering and the other one is exclusively sport climbing. Mm-hmm. Do the protocols that you have them do change based on those types of climbing they're doing? Yeah, I think so. Um, I the, the sport climber, I would still, you know, build a, a lot of strength and then maybe as the season is getting near or he he or she is getting ready to red point i think it's as simple as just switching the the protocol back to something a little more um on the endurance side switch but back to like 73 73 um 
you know, we have a lot of success with six seconds on, six seconds off, okay. you know, and just, just switching that. With the boulder, I think it's it's the same thing, except instead of switching to more of an endurance protocol, that's when I would I would throw in some, some max hangs. Interesting, okay. So... Okay, so yeah. you do the more, whatever the more specific targeted thing is for right, that athlete, right? Right, Towards the And end. it all depends on where this athlete lives, too. It's <laughs> okay. like, you know, if if they're out climbing in the Red River Gorge, it's like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to need more endurance in our fingers. But, you know, a lot of times routes on the front range, you know, are, are going to be more bouldery where it's like maybe it's going to be more beneficial to just be stronger in the fingers. Mm. So it, it all depends um, okay. on where you're climbing, really. Totally. So and then it's like if you're coming up to Wild Iris, it's like man, we gotta we gotta start getting our finger ready um, to to grab monos or or two finger pockets and and weird two finger mm. pockets and stuff like that. Gotcha. So, yeah. Cool. I want to hit on one more thing and then yeah. I'll let you go. Yeah. You were talking. We were talking at dinner the other night about fingerboarding protocol. And you were explaining your method of progressing the workouts from workout to workout. And I thought that was really interesting. It was like the maybe f three steps forward, one step back. Thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so that's another thing Steve, Steve taught me is three steps forward, one step back. And so we do three sessions. Okay. So we have session one, two, three. And in, in each of those sessions, we're, we're probably adding just a little weight. Okay. okay. So we get to the third session. The fourth session will take one step back where I would have them use the weight they used for the second session. Okay. Okay. And then start over one, two, three, and then take a step back. Okay. And we do that to avoid injury. And I think there's a lot of value with, you know, let's say in that second session, you were hanging 50 pounds and it felt kind of hard. But now we do it in the fourth session and you're like, oh man, like this feels, this mm. feels really good. And I, we talked a little bit about this in our, in our finger training session, like the importance of keeping detailed notes of what, what you um, were hanging and how it felt because, and this three steps forward, one step back highlights it is when it comes to sending at or near our limit, a lot of times everything has to align for that to happen. But if we can be driving out to, to the climbing area, knowing that my fingers are stronger, like, you know, six months ago I was hanging this, now I'm able to hang that. I think there's a mental component to that, that I, I know I'm stronger. Mm. I need to just execute. Mm -hmm. And that three steps forward, one step back, a lot of times highlights that because now you're in the fourth session hanging what you, you know, did in the second session. And a lot of times it, it feels cruiser. Yeah, cool. Which is another thing climbers struggle with. It's like they always want, no, it felt too easy. <laughs> felt too easy. It needs yeah. to be harder. And it's like, no, it's okay to to have a session, you know, every week or so that doesn't just kill you. Yeah, you know? especially in the context of like an eight or 12 week cycle or yeah. eight or, sorry, eight or 12 workouts. Mm -hmm. you, you want all of them to be progress, right? Right, yeah. right. And in isometric training, it's like if that load is around, you know, 70%, 
like you're gonna see strength strength gains from it. Seventy percent of your max. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so I'll have my athletes record a number, just the the rating of perceived exertion. Okay. Um, you know, and I I if I see sevens and eights, I know we're we're on the right path. Like hmm. we don't we don't need to be killing ourselves every session. Hmm. You know, I I recently made the last workout for a friend of mine and climber in Fort Collins and I I put it in and it's like last workouts up and you know it's it's going to feel easy but but just do it and what I what I did was this this athlete had never strength trained before so I I just got him doing some deadlifting and some pressing and I mean the, he's already really strong but he's also had he's had a serious injury and you know I always look at longevity. Like mm-hmm. I want, I want this athlete, you know, in his mid thirties to be climbing strong well into his sixties and not to go off on a, on a different tangent, but another athlete of mine, Bert was up from Fort Collins this weekend. He's 67, about oh. to turn 68. Yeah. And all I kept hearing from these athletes was like, Oh my God, that guy's an animal. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he is an animal. He's 67 and he strength trains three days a week and has forever. Wow. And he's, re- he is resilient and he's strong and he's about to climb five twelve again. That's awesome. And so, so I'm getting this back to the other athlete, like, man, he, he's already climbed at a very high level. Okay. He's already really strong, but you know, he's also sometimes injured a lot. And it's mm. like, let's get him to be more resilient mm. by simply having him do a couple lifts a week. So I put in the last workout and it's the exact same workout we did on day one. Oh, wow. And what I wanted out of him was for him to feel like, holy crap, like, wow, like this is nuts. Here I am this 12 sessions later and these weights are laughable. Like, why did Ken even have this? Is a waste of time. And that's yeah. what I was going for. Yeah. And so a few days pass, and I jump in his his sheet, and I saw that he copied and pasted a different workout. In. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, maybe he didn't understand what I what I meant. And so I text him, and he he just replied, "Sorry, dog, I don't have that speed in me." And I was like, oh man, like I get it. But there again, it highlights that climbers are always wanting to push it. Mm. And I'm still going to make him do that workout. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to be like, dude, you need to go in and and do these three sets at the weight we started. Because I want you to feel it. Hmm. Um, And and hopefully we can start to break that mold that we we can't always be pushing it. Mm. And and like Steve says, if, if you're going hard three days a week, chances are you're not going hard, hard at all. Interesting. We, we just can't. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's always a constant battle to get them to realize that we don't always have to be pushing it to the death. Hmm. Now, when you go outside, yeah. And it's time to perform. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the death, but we don't always have to be doing that in the gym. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, I want to clarify one thing real quick before I let you go. Mm -hmm. So let's take a a climber who's hangboarding. They're going to do eight to 12 sessions. Mm -hmm. You're progressing the weight for the first three, then backing off for one. Mm -hmm. What happens with that fifth, sixth, seventh? Where do you start on on, uh, workout number five as far as the load? um, So then you would, so workout four would be what you did in workout two. Yeah. Okay. Workout five, I would probably 
add a little more than workout three. Okay. Okay. And then just start the progression again. Gotcha. Yep. Perfect. Yep. And I think that's a really, really good way to do it. I've also had just a ton of success with adding in volume. So first three workouts, we do three sets, then we'll move it up to four sets. Okay. And then I'll have them just do two workouts at five sets. And then we'll start working back down to four, three, and even two. But as we're working our way back down, as the volume decreases, we are still increasing the intensity. Okay. So by the time they're they're down to just doing two sets, the intensity is still pretty high. But we've now since decreased the volume. Okay. And that's a, that's a really safe way to to get stronger as well. When you ramp up the volume, are you holding the the resistance the same? Or are you adding load? No, to... w- you can be adding load. Oh, as interesting. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So, but uh, you know, for uh, I think for the majority of climbers, like I don't want them. We call it owning the weight. I mm. don't. We I don't feel we need to necessarily constantly be adding weight until you are owning that weight. Until you're like stepping off the hangboard. There again for for the majority of climbers, mm-hmm. you know. Now and then you also have to look at how how their training age and and what they're climbing and all that, but. For a lot of people, you know, I think it's it's okay to just wait to go up until you're like, oh man, I got this. This feels good. Mm. Um, and that's something Steve kind of taught me with with pockets, especially. Oh, interesting. Um, because I'll I'll train pockets before coming up to Wild Iris, and yeah, and you know that's one where we really need to make sure we're we're owning that weight before before we go up. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Right on, Ken. Cool. Well, this has been super interesting. Yeah. I uh, appreciate your time. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Big fan of the podcast. Thanks, and, man. Uh, we'll <laughs> awesome. see you in Rifle. Cool. Campsite 25. Campsite Hopefully. 25. <laughs> All right, listeners. By, by that's the end where we're it. getting together. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it'll be fun to, to hopefully see, you know, because like Nick might might come out and uh, um, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to the fall. Awesome. So Awesome. Look forward to it too. Cool, man. Have yeah. a good day. All right. You too. Bye. Cheers. Next up is Carly Kane. Carly is an AMGA certified guide. She's been climbing for 12 years and is based in Fort Collins, Colorado, and coaches for Climbstrong. Here's Carly. Hi, Carly. Hi. Thanks for sitting down in the van. Thanks for having me in the van. (laughs) (laughs) So we were also talking a little bit ago about a really cool chunk of time that you got with that young female athlete. So you had a 16-year-old girl in the course this weekend. And it sounds like on Sunday you had a breakout session and really got to dig in um, with some private coaching, some one-on-one coaching with her. Yeah. And you talked about some of the mental side of climbing or performance or training. Can you can you let me know? Yeah. What did you guys talk about? I can let you know for sure. <laughs> um, well, first of all, to have a young female fly in from the southeast into Lander, Wyoming, for this clinic was pretty awesome to see the motivation and the passion there. And I think a lot of what we talked about was how amazing it was to see such a passionate young climber who cared so much that she did get some performance anxiety from from that. Mm. Um, and we were just able to dig into it a lot and kind of find out kind of just her experience throughout her like climbing career. She's very young, but she has only been in a competitive climbing environment. And just kind of how it's developed over time, how her like coaches, who she's got amazing coaches have helped her and some of her mentors. And we just really started to dig into what 
she saw as a strength of hers as far as her mental mental game. Instead of talking so much about what was going wrong, we started mm. to talk about, okay, what, when it goes right for you or even when it doesn't, what's that piece that comes out the other side mm. that you still recognize, you know, as a very positive thing. Um, and she came up with the word resiliency, okay, which I thought was really awesome because as a climber, I think that's a really important trait in general <laughs> um, with so much failure to be able to be resilient enough to come back, try to get better, try to question how to up your mental game or whatever's going on. No matter how much like emotional uh, toll it was taking on her, she still wanted to improve. Hmm. Um, and to be able to like see herself, yeah, see her like she. I don't know. She wanted to like other people to see herself also as like a super successful athlete. Mm. Um, as and she puts a lot of pressure on herself. So just trying to dig into that more was really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So yeah, what what kind of things were you able to give her as far as like homework or things to kind of take back yeah. back home with her? So to we're work on? able to pick out what was missing. We talked a lot about her training and what she was doing, but we talked a lot about what she was avoiding in her practices as far as she sees herself as a really good um, slab climber. So she loves climbing slab. That's what she gravitates to. That's, you know, she likes that, you know, her peers get to see her succeed in the grade that she wants to on that. But she tends to avoid the ones that are a little bit known failure, um, especially not projects where it's kind of more accepted to fail like Mm. oh this is at my limit so of course i'm gonna fall it's more like the boulders that were like one or two ticks below that Mm. that she was avoiding that was like oh i don't want to fall you know on this v6 because i climb v8 so even though it's not my style you know so she just had that kind of i don't want to say the word fear but a little bit of her peers um her teammates seeing her fail on that number mm-hmm. um so we picked out we kind of made some pyramids for her like warm-ups and things like that to do certain grades leading up to like kind of her on-site level that will take like the terrain from the entire gym kind of avoiding the slap <laughs> mm-hmm. so just trying to get her a little bit more comfy with failure because mm. that can be hard mm. and especially in front of other people um which kind of simulates that comp situation. Is that her focus, is competition? Her, yeah, totally. Okay. She is not too much of an outdoor climber yet. I'm hoping that will change. I think it will. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she's a comp climber. Um, she's really motivated to perform in comps. Okay. And she's very hard on herself when she doesn't. Um, mm. And that's what kind of causes that cyclic performance anxiety. Mm. Um, that a lot of females, I think, in general have at least that... I've talked to is some sort of performance anxiety kind of based on like their own self critique, just being super, super hard on themselves. Mm. And that's what she does. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of trying to get her more comfy with feeling, also kind of trying to get those similar feelings that happened to her in a comp back in training um, so she can kind of start to reframe it a little bit. Um, and instead of trying to push it aside and be like, no, I'm not anxious, like I'm calm, uh, whatever, um, instead of doing that, kind of reframing it as a positive, like I'm nervous because I care so much. If mm. I didn't have these nerves, I wouldn't be able to perform either. So just trying to be like bringing it into a positive light. Because okay. you can't change how you feel, but you can change how you can react to it. And that's mm. all we're trying to do 
like all I was trying to do with her was, okay, don't try to make yourself some, you know, meditating guru if that's not your thing. <laughs> like you're making yourself something you're not and it's going to cause more stress. Let's like embrace this kind of energy that you have and maybe like maybe you're excited. Maybe it's excitement instead of anxiety that we can turn it into. Hmm. And, you know, um, I think just letting her know that I think it's awesome that she cares that much. And I think it's amazing. And you can't teach on the other end of the spectrum. You can't make someone care, hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty, pretty awesome. I think that her passion is so there, her heart's so in it and she wants, she wants to do better. Hmm. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Very cool. It sounds like you're a, a really high level climber as well. Um, do you focus on sport climbing mostly in your own climbing? I do. I love sport climbing. I have learned to love bouldering. <laughs> Ken's more of a boulderer. Okay. Um, it's funny because bouldering has helped me so much with my own ability to accept failure mm. <laughs> because you're failing right off the ground over and over. And at first I was like, maybe this is why I avoided it so much at first was like, this sucks. Like I'm only a foot off the ground and I'm falling and then I'm another foot off the ground and I'm falling again. Okay. But now I've like really started to love that part of it. Hmm. Um, and seeing that small, small progress. We're in sport climbing at my limit. I still have that, but you know, at least I'm like, maybe I'm 20 feet off the ground. So it's like, <laughs> I've succeeded in getting 20 feet off the ground. Yeah. So I'm primarily a sport climber, but I'm starting to love bouldering okay. more. What are you, as a coach, I'm always interested in this. What are you excited about in your own training right now? So I'm playing with a lot of things in my own training. Just since I do have a nervous system disorder, I think I'm I'm most excited to find something that'll work long term and not send me into a relapse or a flare. Yeah, I just learned this right before we started recording. So you, you yeah. suffer from, what was it, multiple, uh, multiple sclerosis? Multiple yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And I have some other fun autoimmune things, but that's the one I think that's causing the most havoc in my climbing and in my life. Um, so I'm really excited for doing some like complex training, kind of shorter interval training. Um, I do better with like alactic sort of training. So like more like 10 seconds on, 50 seconds rest, like of that intensity. Um, longer durations really kind of neurologically send me into a tizzy. Mm. So um, yeah, I'm kind of just excited to keep on experimenting with what's best for my body and my, mm. my brain. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So I learned something new every time and every time I talk to Steve or Alex or Charlie or Ken or anyone just of like oh I should maybe try this and it's it's a process but eventually I'll hopefully get it dialed <laughs> maybe I don't know <laughs> we're all just processes yeah life is a process life right? is such a process yeah. so yeah it's a yeah it's a work in progress process for progress there we go for awesome. sure any, uh, any, I know I'm going to hopefully see you guys in rifle this fall. September. Yeah. September in rifle. Any, uh, big goals for your rifle trip? You know, I have really not like go, I still have goals, but I'm just kind of trying to figure out what my body is capable of in like a realistic way right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I guess get myself used to like climbing like for example like two days on instead of like one day <laughs> like it's these like little things where it's like all right after one day of climbing i need like three days off because my nervous system is wrecked so it's like mm. these like little goals of like it would be so sweet to be able to climb two days on somewhere <laughs> and maybe like only need a couple days off um 
But yeah, I have a million projects in rifles <laughs> and uh-huh. goals. Um, I would love to get on Sprayathon this year. Nice. Um, so if you are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm psyched on it. You could try that. Cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, on every wall I have a project. It's rifle, right? Yeah. Warm ups are projects sometimes. <laughs> totally, totally. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being open and for sharing that. Um, I really appreciate it. And thanks for your time and for sitting down. Thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Really fun meeting you. You do. Yeah. See you in rifle. <laughs> See you in rifle September. Next up is Alex Bridgewater. Alex is a very high level climber and coaches for Climb Strong in Lander, Wyoming for now. More about Alex coming later this week, so check your podcast apps. Here's Alex. Is there anything that you find yourself repeating over and over and over that maybe you think should be self-evident or obvious, but for some reason all your clients and athletes need to hear the same piece of advice, like something that we could leave our listeners with? They're better than they think they are. Okay. And they deserve more. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Hell yeah. You know what is so funny? (laughs) I love that, man. Yeah. <laughs> you started talking and I was like, I know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. I could see it in your eyes. I've been kind of freaking out about it these last like four to six weeks. Yeah. And it's really funny. Like, I don't know that I would have stumbled across this idea if it wasn't for the influx of climbers into Lander. Hmm. I guess there's two points to this. This happens a lot with my athletes and a lot with people I see at the cliff. And I don't want people to think that I'm just like totally assessing everybody at the cliff, Sure. but it's something that I love about it is that like, you can just sit back and like take it in Hmm. and watch other people and really learn from what they're doing and learn from what they're doing bad. Mm -hmm. And what I see as one of the major detriments to people's climbing is that they don't appreciate themselves enough. And they don't give themselves enough credit. And to that same point, they don't push themselves enough. Hmm. I'm all about taking the steps. Like, I'm all about mm, take the medicine, you know? Like, yeah, I know you want to climb 14A, but you do have to climb 13B first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know? Like, you can climb on a 14A, but let's not be fooled, you know, like mm-hmm. you definitely have to take some steps before you get there. And for sure, you could probably climb a 14A before you climb 13B. It's just going to take way longer, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to not be as fun. Anyways, I see a lot of people not pushing themselves in the right ways, like hard enough, you know, taking the easy way out. And I think that stems from not believing in themselves, you know, putting themselves too quick to put themselves down. Hmm. Like I think a lot of the athletes, I wouldn't say a lot of the athletes that I work with are negative about their themselves, but it's real easy to do. You know, it's real easy to be self-deprecating in your training, in your day-to-day life, in your, in your climbing. And this is kind of a philosophical conversation because I think that that stems directly from the social media platforms that everybody uses <laughs> and they constantly are like, well, I'm not that good. You know, yeah. well, I'm not that good. I got to yeah. measure up to that. You mean I have to do like pinky pull-ups to be good? You know, like, no, hell no. Right. But I think the main thing I see at the crag is like, people are like, oh my God, I suck. Hmm. I could never do that. Or I can't grab this hold or I can't clip this draw or I can't do this or I can't do that. 
somebody said that that move was too reachy. I'm not going to try that route. Hmm. I think that people are just straight up handicapping themselves by like, you don't have to be an egomaniac, but you can be confident. <laughs> it's okay. Cool. I got mad, r- mad respect for people who have the confidence of like, yeah, I'm going to do it right now. Hmm. You know, uh, Carlo Traversi said something really insightful one time. Just kidding. Maybe he said something insightful the other times, but no, this was really good. He was like, the difference between professional rock climbers and your average rock climber is the ability to just make a decision of now I'm going to do it. Hmm. Now's the time. I don't have any more time. I'm going to do it right now. And then they do it. And of course, that's a skill. You have to be able to build up to that skill set and that high level skill set of like, I know when I'm going to do it and I'm going to like drop the clutch and we're going to do it right now to the Mm -hmm. death. And I think a lot of everyday rock climbers or folks who are like trying to push themselves actually push themselves up against a wall because they're not believing in themselves. You know, they're like choking at the last minute. They're Hmm. like, I'm not good enough, you know? Hmm. And I would love to go to a cliff one day. (laughs) And I love hearing people come down from the, from their burns on routes or boulder problems and be like, I could definitely do a next go. Definitely. I'm like, yes, that like <laughs> fuels my fire, dude. Like, hmm. like the negativity. Oh, that sucked. I did so bad. Like I'm never going to do that. The conditions are terrible. Whatever. I, I, it's so disheartening to me, you know, hmm. even as simple as like stepping up to the route and being like, yes, I deserve to be here. Like just saying that to yourself could be so much more helpful than going like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do the crux. Like mm. right there, you've already, you've, you're done. You're not going to do it. I mean, maybe, but like pretty doubtful. Mm-hmm. And so pretty roundabout way of saying like, I would love to see more like positivity from people about themselves and of course to other people like to actually follow through with positivity on yourself you actually you have to display that to other people as well for it to be truth and uh, for you to believe that and so I think that like all training aside you could train all day and night and if you show up to the crag and you do not think that you're ready or you're not worthy or somebody said that the move was hard or that you can't reach the hold or that the hold is too small or it's too hot out god i just don't give a shit like just go up there and try you know like such a silly thing to say Mm -hmm. but just have some confidence in yourself you know and i think that climbing is one of the biggest it's one of the most transferable experiences that somebody can have to relate to their life. Mm. Right. It's like, yeah, sure. I say this to athletes all the time. I'm here to help you be a better athlete, but I'm actually here to help you to be a better person Hmm. because in the grand scheme of things, what does climbing mean? But if you can become a better person, you will become a better rock climber, you know? Hmm. And so I guess I'm more, I'm really interested in that. Like, 
how do we get people to like believe in themselves, you know, like believe that they're worthy. And I think that starts with community for sure. And like trying to direct people in the way of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever Bill Hillbilly is over doing over there. Like, don't worry about Steve, you know, in the corner of the gym doing deadlifts and snatches. Like just worry about yourself. It's cool. Hmm. You'll be able to deadlift 95 pounds someday. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But like, (laughs) man, I just, I, yeah. The like come off the wall, the I suck thing that doesn't ever help. Never gonna help. What do you tell yourself when you're tying into the base of that 14C at Fossil Hill? Ooh, yeah. What do I tell myself? To the death. To the death. Every time. To the death. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, one of the things I learned in Lander that I didn't learn before I moved here... Mm, We were talking about this the other night. Yeah, yeah. Was how to go to the death. Hmm. I know how to be angry and be, like, (laughs) you know, uh, express that kind of emotion, but I didn't know how to do that on the rock. Hmm. And so it's really helpful for me to go, like, I don't need to, like, say it to my partner. Sometimes I say it to my partner. Like, fist bump to the death. But... Yeah, to the death is what I say every time. And I love every second of it, you know? When you get to the death on the route, like, that's exciting, you know? <laughs> when it's when the margin is so thin of, like, in or out, on or off, that's, that's excitement. Hmm. That's, that's pretty rad. And I love... If there's one other thing that I don't see in a lot of people is that either Hmm. like knowing when to do that Hmm. can you drop the clutch can you really try super hard all out i i think one of the one of the things i love at the cliff is emotion on the wall yeah appropriately placed emotion right i do not care if somebody is on the wall like losing it you know of course within reason right Mm -hmm. but I care more about somebody being emotionally attached to the route and like actually caring, showing that they actually care about what's happening in front of them. Not throwing a hissy fit, whatever, just being, show some emotion about it and then come down and like leave it up on the wall. You know, Mm. I say that to a lot of people, like leave it up there, do whatever you want up there, but leave it up there. Mm. And that gets me going. I'm psyched about that. Like I'm, I get, like you could. Ask, I don't even know. I'm like a loud dude sometime at the Clarag <laughs> because people who are like sending and like, yeah, like trying really hard. I just start screaming on the ground, you know, like because I just. It doesn't matter, and that's a really cool thing. Is like, it doesn't matter if you're sending your first five nine and you're trying super hard, and <laughs> really scared, or you're sending five fifteen. Yeah, know, trying super hard everybody is still just trying as best they can you know that gets me going then i'm like yeah yeah we're gonna do that on our route yeah (laughs) i yeah i think there's something so good about it and that it's like we don't have to relate everything to skateboarding but skateboarding (laughs) is so visceral right like you see that emotion immediately Mm. hmm the the like frustration and people whip the skateboard or whatever get pissed. It's mm-hmm. like, I I just love that when it comes to climbing. Hmm. 
Right on, man. Yeah. Well, I think we could probably talk all day. For sure. Totally. Yeah. This has been really good. But this has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I really no appreciate doubt. your time and all your all, all your thoughts. And mm-hmm. I um, hope it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly got a lot out of it. Great. So I think sure. a lot of people will too. Okay. So. Right on. Yeah. Best of luck with your projects. Thank you. In the final weeks that you have. Oh, yeah. And best to of luck death. with the move and yeah. to the death. Yeah. Thanks, right. man. Cheers. Cheers. Up next is Catherine Perkinson. Catherine is a certified personal trainer and has taught climbing for six years, and she lives in Lander, Wyoming. Here's Catherine. Um, I'm going to hand you a microphone. Great. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit? comfort zone. Is it? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all? You're doing great. What do you have for breakfast this morning? I'm just going to check levels. I haven't yet. You haven't yet? Mm-mm, Did you just wake up? There's bread in... No, didn't just wake up, but I'm just not a breakfast person. Okay. Coffee, actually, is what I had for breakfast. <laughs> Some water, too. That's been a theme already with all you guys, all you coaches. Coffee. Coffee for breakfast. You're waiting for fresh baked bread, though. Yeah, if he could only hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> we got croissants today, too. You've it's got croissants. Mm-hmm. Nice. What do you... Yesterday, we had a little bit, and it was delicious, and we just ate it plain. What do you like to put on it? Anything? Uh, pretty classic butter okay. is the standard, or often eggs and avocado. Ooh. Yeah, those are the moves. No, those are good moves. <laughs> How long have you been here in Lander? I've been in Lander about seven years. Okay. Like living full-time here for four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came for Knowles okay. to work in the field for Knowles originally, so that lifestyle's pretty transient, but used my sister's basement here as a landing spot. Nice. Okay. And how did you get involved with Climbstrong? <laughs> I started working with Steve a handful of years ago as an athlete. Okay. And For climbing? For climbing, yep. And super loved it. Um, I think how much he believed in me made me believe in me too. Hmm. And that kind of energy and just like really positive vibes was it's magnetic or it was something that I wanted to be a part of yeah. and then I started I became a personal trainer and started working at the gym at Elemental in town and about a year ago he and Alex approached me and they're like look we've got a lot of athletes coming in do you want to join the team yeah and I was super resistant at first like you all climb 514 you're I what do I have to offer? And they were like the same, you can do this, believe in yourself. Hmm. You have a lot to offer was, uh, I believed them and hmm. tried and it's been super fun. Awesome. What was your school background in? Cause you studied something related to all this stuff, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, not, not helpful <laughs> Never... for anything really. Nope. Okay. I studied <laughs> philosophy. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, so asking the big questions, but never getting an answer is <laughs> my specialty. <laughs> It's really frustrating for my husband, actually. <laughs> Is there a, a life question you've been kicking around lately that comes to mind? Ooh, you know, I've, I think that that's sort of the nice thing about training or working for Climbstrong <laughs> is you can kind of table that stuff for a little while. So I've been taking a mental break. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with the weekend. We didn't really get a chance to, to meet each other until after the fact, but uh, I'd love to hear how the training camp went for you. I thought it was went really well. Was this um, your first one? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it was my first one, and I, along with a, like Chrissy and Carly, actually got to participate as like with the other oh awesome paying athletes, and I think it was you know obviously a lot of 
the stuff that I've heard before, but just to hear it said really eloquently, really succinctly, and in a way that could access a bunch of different audiences was neat for me thinking about how I communicate with athletes and Mm. how I want to take these lessons forward and how to reframe things if someone's stuck. And like on a personal level as a climber, it was just really awesome to hear Jonathan talk and, Mm -hmm. you know, like one of the best climbers in the world who is so freaking humble and also was it pretty much came down to just try harder (laughs) like like we like our ego gets in the way we make excuses and like what Mm. are you prioritizing um Mm. and so as an athlete that really hit home for me i think did it yeah okay for sure you were telling me that uh you have a finger injury i do yeah yeah bummer yeah sorry to hear that (laughs) run me up i'd love to hear i've never really thought about this much until you mentioned that the other day and i'm like man that must happen to coaches all the time and i never thought about that what is it what does it feel like to be coaching climbers and athletes when you're sidelined by an injury uh i think that it's i am so psyched about what's going on for other people and their successes that it doesn't they don't feel super connected or i'm like inspired by the work that they're doing and want them to do super well and maybe it's a reminder that I should keep doing my homework like if I keep climbing really easy hanging in moderation and doing the things that I'm supposed to do to heal it there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and right now I just need to do the homework that's not that fun to get there Mm. okay cool you were talking about you know some of these you're talking about how interesting it was to hear some of these principles and things that you've heard before said really succinctly. Were there any things that really clicked or um, anything that was helpful to be reminded of this weekend? Hmm. I guess just the reiteration of people love to feel tired. You know, mm. it's like you feel successful you if you're sweaty and breathing hard and pumped out of your mind and how that is valuable in a really, really limited scope and how much we tend to overdo it. And I think even though I know that, I'm like, okay, do your strength and your power and your capacity work. It is still is so easy to fall into wanting to feel tired or I'll just do one more set until I'm super pumped or if I'm not really sore the next day I did it wrong when actually it's the opposite Hmm. most of the time. Hmm. Um, And, you know, I work at Elemental. I work with Stephen, Charlie, and Alex every day, and rehearing that is always helpful. Hmm. Cool. Because we hadn't had a chance to meet, I was looking, I was kind of sneaking a peek at uh, your coaching profile on the ClimbStrong website. Yeah. And something stood out to me. It said... You know, you began as an athlete training with Climbstrong, and you learned that we are all far more capable and powerful than we can imagine. Can you speak to that? Sure. I think that Steve talked about this a bit this weekend, too, how most athletes are overstrong and limited by how much they believe in themselves or what they're willing to try and commit to. And I think... I've noticed that with myself and with the people that I work with and mm. climb with. Was that um, your story to some extent? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I am like have a super athletic background, even though it wasn't in climbing for most of my life and probably am plenty strong to climb harder than I do. And I think that 
Steve is so good at framing that like he did this weekend. And uh, that's what I try to carry forward with mm. people that I work with, that they have these sometimes underambitious goals for mm. how much they can accomplish. Hmm, that's cool. Which, I mean, is cool, you know, like sending stuff is really cool, but it's also cool just because that will trickle out into other parts of their lives. Mm. Um, so that's totally. the hope. Uh, I want to ask one more question. Is there anything that you find yourself saying repeatedly to your clients that you're surprised you have to tell them over and over again? Climb second tier roots. <laughs> <laughs> I think that projecting is super fun uh-huh. and way sexier to <laughs> be able to say whatever number grade. I'm that, trying that thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But to like risk falling on something that you quote unquote like should be able to do is mm. just, it's way more vulnerable and uh, I think emotionally scarier for people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that repeatedly I'm driving home no matter who it is or where they're climbing is like, climb stuff below your limit most of the time and then we'll build to projecting and you'll be able to put stuff down way quicker Hmm. cool yeah awesome Catherine. well thanks for sharing that i'll let you get to your fresh baked breakfast (laughs) thanks Stephen. (laughs) (laughs) cheers next we have charlie manganello or charlie mango as he is affectionately known by the crew Charlie has been with Climbstrong for seven years and now heads the Elemental Strength Program in Lander. More about him later in the week as well. So keep your smartphones charged and your ears ready to listen. Here's Charlie. Uh, what were some of your biggest takeaways from the weekend? We, we had a little bit of a conversation before we started rolling here, and I'd love to, to hit on some of that stuff you were talking about. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway, and, and we had a really good conversation. I, I was kind of wishing we were recording because I <laughs> feel like I said it without a bunch of ums and likes <laughs> which I'm so good at doing um there it goes the the thing about this weekend and having 10 athletes here was really really cool and we know this has been coming uh, or it's been a long time coming where climbing is just really important to people and and before it was kind of this somewhat fringe culture and 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 most climbers were mostly just pros uh, or like you know people pushing the type of climbing that we now know and, and see in our world. But now it's just like a thing that people are really interested in. And and Alex and I were, were talking about this during the shutdown. And the, what was cool to see this weekend is that some were coaches and, and people are going to bring this to their profession or to their livelihood. But a lot of people are just like, I just want to be better. Like, I just want to, I want to, I want to bring this climbing further into my career or further down uh, into my life. And I just wanted, like, I I, am so, people are just so happy to want to be better, like send stuff quicker or send their hardest stuff ever. Mm. And it feels really weird in a world that we're living in right now to like, kind of say this, you know, there's really terrible things happening. People are suffering through this pandemic. We've got a a civil rights movements that that's really important and, and black lives matter. And, and I think we need to make sure we keep our climbing in perspective with, with mm-hmm. other things or hardships that are happening in the world. But I don't think that means to just let it go. And mm. I, I've seen some conversations go of the like, why do you like, why are you worried about your climbing day? Like there's more, you know, pressing issues in the world. And it's like, yeah, yes, totally agree. But 
uh, I, what Alex and I were talking about when we were, we were, we were finding far and away crags to kind of still climb and be away from people. And it's pretty easy to do here in Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we were, we were just saying like, man, cause we had moments of like very long periods of time of not climbing like we normally do. And like, man, I didn't realize like how much of this stuff means to me mm. just in my everyday life. And it makes me a quality humor human. It makes me go to work and work hard. It makes me care about people or it makes me feel happy. Mm. And if we're, we're happy in our lives, we can, we can do good things in our lives. And I, I think for climbing right now, for people, it makes them who they are. And I don't think people should diminish that or, or be quick to dismiss like, Oh, climbing's just a super selfish thing. And you know, you should, you should be worrying about other more important things. And I think people should be, you know, looking to vote this, this season and, and, and having those tough conversations with race around, um, this, this country. But I also think it's important to do the things that make you happy. Mm. Um, and I think that's what was striking in that moment when we were talking about it, but also striking in these, these training camps and these performance climbing coaches weekends we do where this stuff really matters to people. And, mm. and we, we see it, we hear it. We want to, we want to help people find success because, you know, I was talking with an athlete this weekend, uh, one of the older athletes we had, and he's like, you know, finally I, I found training and I, I, he was reading some book and I can't remember the, the author, but he was saying like, we've got to treat our lives. Like we've, our life is a terminal illness. Like we all, we all don't make it. Like <laughs> no one gets out of this thing alive. And we've all heard that phrase before. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are some really crappy hands that people get dealt. There are real terminal illnesses that, um, take loved ones from us way too soon, but at the end of the day, we, we do all go to the other side, whatever mm -hmm. that means for folks. Uh, and if we can do good and feel good, but also just like enjoy the ride mm -hmm. for a lot of people, climbing is enjoying the ride and we want to make that ride cooler. Mm -hmm. We want to make it more fun. And for sometimes that fun is sending, sending the sickness. <laughs> uh, and I, I just think we don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think that's what I saw this week. And people just like, I just want to, I want to be better, hmm. which I think translates into other parts of, of people's lives, like trying really hard or knowing what it feels like to try super hard to reach this unattainable goal. I think it makes you a better worker. I think it makes you a better family man. I think it makes it a better person all around to, to really go to battle with something. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks for yeah. sharing all that. You're welcome. Cool. What are you excited about right now with, uh, with training for rock climbing? What's something uh, that could, that's got you fired up? Fired up. I think what's got me fired up the most, not only in my own climbing, but also coaching with athletes, is the mental component. And I think Alex maybe had touched upon this, like the the positive self-speak is super powerful. Hmm. And if we tell ourselves we suck or we think we suck it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy that we kind of <laughs> just end up playing out hmm. at the crag or in our training or in our year. You know, it sounds a little frou-frou if you <laughs> ask me, or it's like a little kumbaya -y. like, you know, be positive and like, you know, just say you're going to do it and you'll do it. I, I don't think that's really what I'm trying to say, but I think the positive self-talk or the like, I am worth this, or I've tried really hard, or I have trained really hard. It's not that I deserve this, but it's like, I am good enough for this. 
Um, I belong knowing, here. Yeah. What's that? I belong here. Yeah, I belong here. Like yeah. I, I, I belong on this wall. I can do this thing. Knowing that we don't always, it doesn't always play out. Like mm-hmm. we don't want to fool ourselves or have like a ridiculous amount of like over self-confidence. But I think that mind creeps in more in my climbing than I realized. Hmm. And I think it creeps in more athletes than I realized. Okay. And, having those conversations way beyond sets and reps and hangborn protocols and you know, what climb you should be getting on. It's like, what are you, what are you telling yourself before you get on the wall? Or Hmm. what are your thoughts when you're in the shower or when you're like, before you go to bed or, you know, are they positive or are they not? Uh, and you know, when you get down or negative or throw a wobbler, are you able to let it go? Hmm. And we see that out at the crag or, you know, where people just can't let it go. I learned this somewhat while ago. My my dad's a big golfer, and I played a lot of golf when I was a kid and young adult, and I was never really good. But in golf, you're, like, constantly having to make these shots. Like, you know, if you're doing a round at 18, it's a lot of time to, like, put together a good game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd constantly, like, have a good hole and a bad hole and a good hole and a bad hole. <laughs> and, my, and my dad would always say, like, you know, forget that shot. Like, mm. don't bring that shot to the next hole or don't bring that shot to your, you know, to the green or when you're putting. And I think, I think in climbing that's really transferable. I don't think I was ever really good at it. <laughs> I think I'd continue to look at like when I shanked it into the, into the trees and then it would play out in all my other shots. But I think in climbing, you've got to like, you know, be angry and sit with it for a second, but truly truly put it away hmm. and i think we tell ourselves we put it away mm-hmm. we actually don't <laughs> uh i know i may be just speaking for myself but yeah I, I hope that resonates with some athletes yeah totally i'm sure i'm sure it will is there something that you tell yourself or something that you that you say to your clients when they're struggling with that i think um i don't know if i have much advice there as far as like a mantra mm-hmm. uh i think i'm still working on that okay but I, I think where my head goes and where I try to get athletes heads to go is like, I think we do go into these negative places cause we do think we should be climbing harder or we do think we deserve to be climbing harder. And it's almost like this way of letting go of just like, this is where I'm at. Hmm. Like this is, this is not the grade I feel like I should be climbing or this is not the grade I want to be climbing or this is not the grade that I put on my training log you know January 1st of whatever year mm-hmm. but I am having a hard time I am struggling this is where I belong hmm. and this is where I need to like see it through and then go to the next next project and hmm. I think people lose that and don't do the necessary work or like pyramid to build up to like the actual goal they want. Hmm. And Jonathan said that a little bit this weekend is people not putting in the work on the second tier, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, maybe it's not their limit, but it might be their limit for the day mm-hmm. or, or for where they are in their training or and for so, that style or for that style. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a constant struggle. It's like, you know, anyone <laughs> who doesn't climb, on pockets and comes a wild iris is continually reminded that 12c at wild iris is not 12c at like any other crag yeah uh so yeah i I think it's just like the this is where i am and i need to work through this and i need to figure out why i'm not sending uh, and um just like accept it Hmm. Uh, and and not be like 
uh, still not being satisfied, knowing that you want more, mm-hmm. but just like this is the building block that must happen mm-hmm. before I get to do the thing that I really want to do. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Charlie. This Pre- been, yeah, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your time, and it's yeah. been really fun meeting all you guys. Definitely, man. Yeah, I've taken a lot away, and I've just been loitering around <laughs> chatting <laughs> no, with you guys as you're available. I so. really appreciate it, it's and you know, fun. you know, Steve has said a uh, bunch of good things about you, and we're just psyched to be able to do this. And right dude, you're one of the original <laughs> training camp attendees, man. Yeah, like back in 2012, and I, I was just front desk person, man. I had no idea. Like, I, I think I vaguely remember this weekend happening, okay. or that weekend happening, but. I don't know, I was probably going running or something. <laughs> but, Synchronized swimming. Yeah, oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be my next book, Synchronized Swimming for Climbing. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I I'm really appreciate I really appreciate the time, man. Right on, man. All right. I hope to see you around. See Cheers. You. Bye. Our last guest today is Amanda Sempert. Amanda is a strength coach at Elemental Fitness in Lander and is an expert in teaching strength movements and tension techniques. We did get into the weeds with some exercises that are a bit difficult to describe, so I did link to some references in the show notes, some videos and articles if you guys want to dig deeper into anything we talked about. And as always, you can find those in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Here's Amanda. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How good. are you? Good. Good. So you we, you and I were talking the other day, and it sounds like you're not as much of a climber as a lot of the other Climbstrong folks. You've climbed a little bit, but it's not your thing. But it sounds like you're an expert in strength and getting people strong. Yes. Which is awesome. Yes. Um, Steve, we were just at lunch. Steve and I were just at lunch, and he was. I was asking him like what I should talk to you about. And he told a great story about you breaking down a kettlebell press like an overhead press of a kettlebell and it sounds like you know you start out with a client or someone at the clinic a participant and have them press overhead and you know take them up to as heavy as they can possibly go or just heavier than they can possibly press and then it sounds like you take them through a number of really interesting and maybe not obvious to people sort of cues and and improvements to to immediately change their strength. Would you be willing to kind of like take me through what you would do in that, in that sort of scenario with a overhead press? Yeah, it's really fascinating because as you ask them to press overhead as a coach, you're watching form, you're watching tension, you're watching how they move. And so you kind of get an idea of maybe these leaks, leaks in their tension Mm. or leaks in their, form where once you go through it and I'll, I'll get to this of where we add the tension in, you want to link your stabilizers and link your tension together rather than have these leaks or energy leaks. Okay. So having someone press, you work up to a higher and higher weight. You might see a little struggle and they're, they're feeling good, right? They're like, yeah, I pressed that. That Mm -hmm. was, that was awesome. And you're like, okay, Let's run through some tension techniques. Maybe we're not creating cross-body tension as we press with the right. Maybe that left arm is just monster hand or uh, elbow, or not elbow, <laughs> I'm thinking noodles. Mm-hmm. Uh, noodle arm. Okay. <laughs> I'm hungry, it's lunchtime. Um, <laughs> and you know, maybe they're bending at the knees, maybe you know, there's some movement in the back. So you're seeing all of these leaks. Places where they're not 
stiff and, and strong and creating tension. Right. Okay. So we'll run through some tension techniques. Um, a great one's the hard style plank where we're really pulling in or generating tension from our arms. Our arms are engaged, biceps are engaged, shoulders engaged, their core is tight. Uh, think like you're bracing for someone to come up and kick you in the stomach. It's not the best visual, but mm -hmm. it works. Okay. Um, glutes are squeezing or pulling our kneecaps up. Our quads are engaged. And that opposite hand is in a fist. We're creating some cross body tension. Okay. Um, Real quick. So for the hard style plank, I've I've played with this before from strong first. It's really interesting, but you're effectively in a plank position like normal, but instead of seeing how long you can go, you s squeeze all of the muscles in your body as hard as you possibly can. And it makes it really, really hard. Like the idea is to like, see how hard you can make 10 seconds. Right. Something like that. Yep. Okay. Um, so it's as hard as you can. It's not for time. If you can do it more than 20 seconds, you might be doing something wrong or mm -hmm. missing a major group having tension. Mm -hmm. And what I like to do as a coach is we'll take a PVC and as the athlete is in that hard style plank, we'll tap their lats, mm. make sure those are engaged. You can tap their core, make sure that's engaged. Give them a little tap on the bum, make sure those glutes are squeezing, tap their quads. And so that gives the athlete a really good idea of like, oh shoot, my, you know, my glutes weren't engaged. I wasn't squeezing. Um, or, oh, yep. I let my core relax. I wasn't breathing behind the shield. Hmm. So there's ways to kind of elicit a little bit more tension from your athlete in that position, which is really cool. Hmm. So then we take those ideas, those concepts and apply them to the press. So that we have them like for kettlebell press, they'll clean the bell. And then I'll cue them, like engage your quads, squeeze your glutes, is your core tight? And then I think I misspoke earlier, the hard style plank, you wouldn't engage that non-working hand. Mm. Obviously both arms would be working. Okay. But in your press, your unloaded hand, you would create a fist, almost like you're squeezing a water bottle as hard as you can. Hmm. And then you proceed to press. And what many of our athletes find is they're stronger. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. I think it's something like you're 20% stronger when you create tension. Hmm. And that's so interesting. Yeah. So, so what are some of the, take me through some of the specific cues you would, you would give someone if they're trying to press their, you know, whatever side, let's say they're trying to press a 20 kg kettlebell and they can't quite do it. What are a few things that you would have them focus on as cues? Um, I like to work from the bottom up. Okay. So as they're in the rack position with that kettlebell, my checklist would be, are you gripping the floor with your toes? Interesting. I like to train barefoot and I believe in the proprioception and engaging even our toes. So like, are we gripping the floor? Then I come up to my knees. Are my kneecaps engaged? Meaning my quads are my quads pulled. Are they engaged? Mm-hmm. Is my glute squeezing? We like to think of um, my reference is biting the sandwich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I know Steve has some other ones he likes to use, or you know, like cracking the nut. Cracking I think the is, nut, uh, yeah. or like holding a quarter between, between your butt cheeks. Between your cheeks. Yeah. I mean, it's really a lot of tension there. Okay. And then up to the core, is my core engaged? Not just the front of my core, but also the back. 
And that'd so, be kind of like bracing for a punch. So we're just like really bracing, kind of locking our core to our pelvis because we don't want a lot of movement through our back as we press. We don't want to extend. We want to protect our back. And then as we keep moving up, the opposite arm is in a fist or squeezing. You can put something in your fist to squeeze if that seems useful. It can be a little awkward for setup. Hmm. And then just making sure as you begin that press, we're taking a sharp inhale. And as we press and we get to the top, hmm. we're exhaling sharply. So that's that breathing behind the shield. Okay. And you might find that you have a sticking point in your press. So that's where I tend to encourage a little bit of an exhale or breathe through the sticking point. Hmm. So I would inhale, press. Okay, I'm at my sticking point. Hmm. And now I can breathe through, extend, get that full press. Okay. Yeah. That's super cool. I would love to uh, share some resources for folks and I'll, maybe I'll connect with you and vet them, find some videos that you think are high quality or whatever. Absolutely. But I'd love to share the hard style plank and this kind of like hard style press, hard style training in general. Um, are there any other exercises that you use with folks if the goal is to get better at creating tension and working on removing some of those leak areas? There's a few good ones. I'm thinking of the ones we went over in camp because those Perfect. are at the top of my brain. Um, Alex and I taught a zip-up drill, okay, which helps uh, create tension more as it applies to like a push-up or a one-arm push-up. But it's a similar plank position but instead of on our elbows like the hard style plank would be on our palms okay and you start at the ground kind of in a, a push-up position the top of a push-up position well at the bottom okay so we're gonna start chest on ground oh, okay and you tuck your toes so we're pressing back through our heels we're engaging our quads squeezing the glutes core is tight and then we just press up a little bit so it's similar to that I think it's chaturanga pose in yoga where we're just hovering the chest mm -hmm. and we're holding that for a couple seconds and our is, athletes is your whole body straight yep okay so you're basically in like a half plank okay in a sense you're just lower to the ground okay your arms aren't fully extended okay so it's like more, a quarter push-up position right. or something okay um so that can help people feel what the body needs to feel like hmm in that position um it's another great one for cueing as a coach you can tap in on the lats the core the glutes the ham or not the hamstrings they will be tight but the quads um, make sure they're pressing back through the heels that's another really good one even just standing you can go from total body tension to fully relaxed and go through that a few rounds and really try like squeeze your fists and like squeeze your armpits get those lats engaged core is tight we're basically like full body bracing and then relaxing something a visual that just came to mind and something i think about sometimes is like a little kid when they're so angry they're squeezing their fists and their face turn red and they're just like all their muscles are flexing. Yep. <laughs> We're kind of practicing right. doing that. You're like That's hulking out and then calming down, like <laughs> just over and over uh -huh, um, uh -huh. and just checking in with your body. It's a lot of body awareness. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's super fascinating. And I'm excited to share some stuff with folks. Yeah. What are you excited about with your own training right now? 
Oh man, um, I just started the Strong First Quick in the Dead program. Quick in the Dead? Quick in the Dead. Okay. Um, it's one of the newest ones Pavel's put out. You yeah, can, I haven't heard of it. You can find the book. It's really great. It's a lot of alactic training. Okay. So we're focused on speed and power, lots of rest, but it's basic. It's swings, push-ups, and snatches. Okay. And so I just finished my first week, and I'm really excited to try this for three months, see how I like it, see how I progress, and then ultimately start using it in my training for my athletes. Okay. Yeah. What um, what weakness or, or what are you hoping to address with this sort of alactic circuit sort of thing? What is that going to help you with ultimately? You know, I think it's going to help build some power and strength. I'm hoping not to bulk much. I know I'll put on mass, but I want to see what that looks like. Is it just muscle mass and my weight stays the same, which mm. my training has tend to do. Mm -hmm. But I also want to see my power and speed remain as I increase weight. So um, every four weeks you retest, you're progressing the push up, you're increasing your weight swing, you're increasing your snatch weight. Got it. So you're, you're using more load, but you want to maintain that crisp, fast power. Exactly. With all your exercises. Yep. And so I'm really excited to kind of see what that does and what it feels like. Okay. Yeah. It seems like Steve and I talked a little bit about the alactic mm -hmm. circuits for, for climbing. So right. that seems like kind of a new and exciting thing that you guys are yeah. diving deeper into. And I think it could be really great. Um, there's a few other little training plans I'm working through with Steve and we want to see like, how does this feel? And you know, we're big believers of like, let's do it ourselves. Let's, mm. let's do it. Let's take notes. Let's talk about it and then see how that is going to work for our athletes. Mm. Like, how can we program that? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know you do a ton of stuff behind the scenes. Charlie described you as the person that's the glue behind Climb Strong <laughs> that holds the whole thing together. Yeah. Um, it's been really fun to meet you, and thanks so much for, for sitting down and sharing all this. It's super Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for including me. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yeah, right on. All right. Cool. Take care. Thank you. That is it for the 2020 Climb Strong Training Camp Mashup episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you so much to the Climbstrong team and to everyone involved for making it such a fun weekend. I didn't ask anybody about gratitude in this episode, so I thought I would end by sharing what I have been especially grateful for lately. I had no idea what to expect when I started this podcast. I didn't know if anyone would listen. I just wanted to do it, and I thought it would be fun. And I have been completely blown away by the response from you guys. I have received so many kind and encouraging messages. I've bumped into several of you listeners at the cliff. I've seen you share episodes on your Instagram stories. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it and how excited it gets me about the podcast, uh, the many conversations I've had already, and the countless conversations that lie in the future. I feel incredibly lucky to be doing this and I will keep doing my best to bring you interesting conversations full of nuggets as long as you guys keep listening. If you do want to support the show, there are a few ways to do that. You can find those at thenuggetclimbing.com. There's an orange button at the top. 
I'm working on a new idea for Patreon, and I'll be talking more about that in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. And that's it. I love you guys. I'm very grateful for all of you. Stay strong out there. We'll see you next time. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it, cause no one can do it.